0: 4,000 years ago, a covenant was made that would have an enduring impact throughout history. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you shall all the families
1: of the earth be blessed. Without Reverend Blackstone's influence, it is quite possible that Israel would never have existed. The Jewish state that Theodore Herzl wrote years later somehow came up with remarkably similar conclusions to solve the Jewish problem around the world. Perhaps it's a coincidence. Not for 24 centuries. Since the days of Cyrus, King of Persia, has there been offered to any mortal such a privileged opportunity to further the purposes of God concerning his ancient people? In 1917, he re-presented that petition to then U.S. President Woodrow Wilson. You'll get a lot of angry opinions also about President Roosevelt, whether or not he was in favor of the Jews or against the Jews. To the best of our knowledge, they knew about the Holocaust. He just didn't want to do anything. Mr. Truman, one of the first documents on his desk is, what do we do about the question of Palestine? I have to do what is right. I have to do not only what is moral, I have to do what is just, I have to do what is proper, and I have to do what is biblical. He knew the story and the role of Cyrus. Israel is important to the security of this country. We will defend her. And that's exactly what Nixon did. Israel was saved because of an anti-Semite. I feel deeply concerned at this hour. Our lessons are that those that bless them, he will bless, and those that don't, come under a curse every country that turns on the Jews to try and destroy us, try and thwart God's will of the role that the Jewish people have in the destiny of future. Somehow it always turns on them. The Babylonians, the Romans, the Spanish during the Inquisitions, whoever you wish. At some point, do you stop and say, are these all coincidences? You are listening to The Tov Podcast.
2: Well, Stephen Briggs is passionate about exploring the connections between biblical prophecy and current events. Stephen is the producer of the award winning documentary films America and the Israel Effect and Cyrus Nations UK. Stephen serves as the director of operations for Hatifa Films, a Christian ministry making films about Israel and the Bible with the aim of impacting and equipping the church. Originally from England, Stephen also lived in Jerusalem for a season, and now recently relocated to Nashville, Tennessee, with his wife and children. Stephen, welcome back to the Tove Podcast. It's wonderful to be back with you. Uh, Some folks may or may not remember, but uh, you joined us just several months ago at a Bible prophecy conference, where in our first conversation, we spoke about the relationship between Israel and the U.K., And uh, if you've not yet listened to that podcast, I'd encourage you to head on back to September and uh, listen to uh, Stephen Briggs on our first conversation. But you're back today, and we're not only going to talk about Israel again, but we want to talk more specifically uh, about the principle of blessing Israel and how that has related to the United States. And uh, this particular conversation will center around a film uh, which listeners were able to hear uh, in the introduction, the trailer to that film. And uh, the name of this film is what, Stephen?
0: It's called America and the Israel Effect, and it's the fourth film in the series uh, entitled Blessing, Curse, or Coincidence.
2: Okay, America and the Israel Effect. So can you tell us about the premise of the film series and... More specifically, this film about America and Israel.
0: Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. So we have, uh, have done a series of films, and this journey began, as I think I shared in the last podcast with you, Levi, um, 12 and a half years ago. Back in 2008, I joined the team of Hatik for Films uh, to be involved in what originally was going to be one film entitled Curse or Coincidence. Uh, I challenged the producer at the time and said, well, it can't really just be called curse or coincidence. They're within God's heart, he has a desire to bless. And Genesis twelve three gives us that indication. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. It doesn't start with the curse. I will curse him who curses you. And then I'll bless him who blesses you. It's the other way around. So God is interested in in blessing his creation. That's that's his heart's desire. He saw what he had made and it was good mm. or and it was very good. There was a desire within his heart to uh, walk with man in the garden and to, to fellowship with him. And so we see this pattern here and then... This promise that is given to Abraham in Genesis twelve three is is uh, ratified in Genesis 15, is repeated Genesis 17, Genesis 22, Genesis 25, Genesis 27, 1 Chronicles 16, Psalm 105, 8 to 11, over and over and over again, it is repeated and told to us that this is something that we need to sit up and take notice. Mm. But it's not just in the Old Testament for those who think, oh the Old Testament is not so important now. It actually is mentioned in Galatians as well. Galatians 3 and verse 8, it says for Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, as you and I, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, mm. saying, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Ah, so there's a door for us to understand what he's saying by going back into the Old Testament, going back into the Torah, because he's pointing us back to Genesis twelve three, and he's actually stating that that is the gospel. Mm. and the means by which it would be at worked then, by implication. Mm-hmm. So both the blessings and the cursings are for the purpose of salvation. And well, why does that matter in the light of what we're talking about? Right. Not, not just personally, but also with regard to nations. Well, Psalm 2, uh, you have Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 go hand in hand. Originally, they were one psalm. And uh, Psalm 1 is the personal, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Torah of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. Planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, and whatever he does prospers. And then it says, not so the wicked. So right. there's the contrast. contrast. They're like the chaff yep. that the wind drives away. So there's a, two groups of people there. And then you go into Psalm 2, and you have this amazing st- proclamation. Why do the nations rage? So mm-hmm. we've gone from the personal to the national. Why do the nations rage? The they rage And the peoples uh, plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers or the elite of the earth take counsel together against the Lord.
2: And his anointed.
0: And his anointed. In the Hebrew, that word is Mashiach. Right. Saying, and what do they say? Come, let us cast away their cords from us and tear their bonds asunder. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it says, he that sits in the heavens will laugh. So what are those cords and what are those bonds? It's very, very important for us to to understand and and grapple with those. Well, in reading it and looking at it in the context, those cords and bonds are are the parameters which God has put in place in his scriptures for us to be in a right relationship with him and in a right relationship with our fellow man.
2: Mm.
0: And when we go against those, when when the nations choose to make their policy something that doesn't line up with scripture, there is a consequence to that. And so it then goes on here that sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord will have them in derision or confusion. Well, how confused are our nations today?
2: Very confused.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the leadership of these nations and things and the the relationship between the nations. And then it says, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will tell of the decree. Thou art my son this day have I begotten you. And then we have one of the most amazing prayers that is kind of like, well, let me say, uh, discussions, if we can put it. The father says to the son, says to the Messiah, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance mm-hmm. and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Now, that's an interesting thing for the father to say to his son. Because what he's saying is actually, if you want these nations, if you want these people, then you've got to be in a, a uh, involved in asking me for that to be realized. Mm-hmm. So God isn't just concerned with saving individuals, although that's the work of the cross. He wants to see nations transformed mm. because he desires a kingdom right, with a king. And in order to have a kingdom, it's not just a king and one person. It's a king and a multitude of people. And so I often take people back to Matthew 5 to 7. Mm-hmm. And let's, Matthew 5 to 7, if Jesus was running for office today, that would be his manifesto.
2: Mm. Yeah. And, and so, you, you know, we mentioned the principle that when nations have policies and directives that set themselves against the teachings of Scripture, there's going to be consequences for those. And that could be related to anything. It could be, for example, abortion. It could be something else that takes glory away from God and that is against what the Bible teaches. Certainly what we're talking about here today— is the principle of blessing the Jewish people, is is blessing Israel and her people. And that's a clear directive of Scripture that, as you mentioned already, has not been rescinded. In fact, just a little bit later in Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes the express point that just because the law of Moses may have been made obsolete by the new covenant— certainly in no way means that the covenant made 430 years previously, which is that Abrahamic covenant you mentioned, has been made obsolete. Paul makes the point. Folks, the Abrahamic covenant is in existence today along with the new covenant. And uh, we mentioned that on a couple of weeks ago, too. We, we did a special on the Davidic covenant and how the Davidic covenant is in existence today. Promises to the house of David that will be fulfilled just as the Abrahamic covenant is in existence today.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's what the first film in the Blessing Curse of Coincidence series looks at. We look at how the major covenants in scripture fit together, the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and the New, because there's there's sadly we live in a generation where there's almost been an over it sounds almost wrong it, understand my heart and it's an overemphasis in we only teach from the new testament mm, you know and yeah. so um, the 2 so Timothy says all scripture is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction that well my bible consists of 66 books if you want to play with less than a full deck be my <laughs> guest but i want to i want to take the full deck and i want to u- use the full deck not in an uh, in a uh, in the right way. Sure. Genesis to Revelation. And so that, that reality of taking and saying, actually, the Bible that Jesus had was just the Old Testament. Is it just
2: the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: And so how, and then you have an amazing picture where the Ethiopian eunuch is explained from Moses up to the cross. The Bible, the New Testament hadn't been written then. And the process of taking, can we communicate the gospel just using the Old Testament? Can we take hold of what the scripture says and apply it? And how does that look? And the Davidic covenant is a vital covenant, a vital element of the covenant. And so much so that in the very last book and the very last Chapter of the last book of the Bible in Revelation, Jesus is identified again as a, of David's lineage.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure,
0: and uh, that is how Matthew begins. It's yep. uh, the, the the first verse in Matthew one one is the lineage from Abraham. Through David to the Messiah, yeah, um, and that's crucial because that ties the whole book together and takes us to the end and shows that the beginning and the end fit perfectly. And mm-hmm. I'm aware that it's, it's broader than what we're perhaps talking about with regard to to America today. But we, my heart's cry is as, as believers that we would see God has asked the Father has asked His Son to ask Him for the nations, mm-hmm. and therefore, what does that really look like? What are the nations in God's eyes? And how should the nations be responding and relating to him? And uh, the series of films, Blessing, Curse, or Coincidence, simply want to put forward what has taken place. Yeah, the outworking, and, uh, the outworking of that process, The of it and allow people to draw their own conclusions. Sure. We're not, yeah.
2: There have been some important figures in the history of the United States uh, and in our nation's Christian history and heritage uh, that are highlighted in this film. And there's actually a significant connection to life and Messiah. Uh, So tell us, how does William E. Blackstone, who, for those listeners who may not know, he is the founder of what is today Life and Messiah. Uh, At that point, when William Blackstone founded this organization in 1887, he initially named it the Chicago Hebrew Mission. And today, we are the same mission, but called Life and Messiah. So tell us how he factors into into this story
0: he was a key player I mean he was a businessman in his, his day that was his first and foremost what he was engaged with and he got hold of the scriptures and that caused him to to come alive in, mm. in understanding what was what was going on and seeing okay well there's a couple of things that have to happen before the Messiah has to return one of which is there needs to be a restoration of Israel back to its geographical land in the same proximity of the streets where Jesus walked and the surrounding region
2: now now let's just talk about that Second, Because I have a feeling some of our listeners might hear, in order for the Messiah to return, there needs to be a regathering of Israel. There has to be an Israel. Where do we get that from Scripture? Because I don't want us to, you know, I don't want people to think we're just throwing things out there. Where do we get that in Scripture?
0: Well, there's a whole number of places. You can look in Deuteronomy 30, but let's, let's start in the New Testament because we talked about the situation with, uh, um, with uh, how some Christians approached their Bible as just the New Testament. Sure. And uh, that actually goes back to Martian of Sinope, who taught that there were two different gods, mm. the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, which was in the early early church, the church fathers. That was where uh, a division took place. But coming back into the, the subject of what we're talking about, Acts 1 you have the best bible school anybody could ever <laughs> ever dream of. Sure. Jesus has risen from the dead. Yeah. He has he uh, has shown himself to his disciples and they enter into the best bible school you ever could be in. Mm-hmm. Hands down, beats Moody, beats all of the Bible <laughs> schools that are out there. is a great place to go and study. It's yep. just up the road, you know. Uh Taylor, Trinity. There's so many around here. You're you're a, a blessed nation. You have so many Bible schools. It's wonderful. But the best Bible school ever is one that's taught by Jesus. And I often say to people, we should never leave the boarding school of Christ. Mm. The Father has uh, created that institution. The Holy Spirit is the the one who teaches us through that institution. The subject matter is the Messiah. And uh, we should take hold of the the textbook, which is the Bible, and live that day in, day out for the rest of our lives. And so in Acts 1, you have the disciples gathered together with Jesus and they've had this best experience ever, resurrected Christ, being uh, there and teaching them. And at the end of that time, they have just one question,
2: is only it, one. Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel?
0: Yeah, and, and I often say to people, you know, will you restore the kingdom to Israel is how most Christians want it to be. But it's not will you restore right. the kingdom to Israel, it's will you at this time. In other words, the disciples didn't question that Israel was going to be restored. They were merely asking the timing. And Jesus' response is very, very special.
2: Well, he doesn't rebuke him. No,
0: he doesn't say, no, This is you've got it all wrong. How stupid mm-hmm. are you? You've been in my Bible school and you come away with this one question of all the things you could have asked. You, you come away with this question that uh, is irrelevant. You haven't got it. Israel no longer matters. You know, this is how he could have responded to it. <laughs> he could have. He could have put it to side. He could have put it to bed once and for all. God's only concern now is with the church, and Israel's got no, nothing in the picture, but he doesn't do that. What he says is, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which my Father has set, but you shall be my witnesses when you receive power from on and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's his very last statement before he ascends to mm. be with the Father. Mm. So here we have something tying in, very, very crucial to us, is there is something about this restoration of Israel being our timepiece for us to understand where in history we are. And if I can unpack that further using uh, another um, aspect of of, of Scripture, he's highlighting to us this responsibility that we have in our generation now that Israel has been restored. Mm. You see, you and I, Levi, live in the generation That the apostles wanted to live. Mm. They wanted to see the kingdom of Israel restored. That's why they asked the question. Sure. And 2 Peter 1, verse 19 says, We have the word of prophecy made more sure, wherein you do well that you take heed as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rise in your hearts. But understand this no uh, prophecy is a matter of private interpretation, for men spoke of God being moved by the Holy Spirit. That's 2 Peter 1, verse 19 to 21. And uh, within that, you have a statement. We have the word of prophecy made more sure. Mm. Now, how can prophecy be made more sure? (laughs) Well, I guess if you get to see it be fulfilled. Absolutely. That's the only reason. So Peter could say with greater confidence, we have the word of prophecy made more sure. Okay. Now, you and I, living 2,000 years later, after Peter, can say that verse with even more confidence than Peter did. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, It means we should have no doubt. We should have great hope and certainty because we are seeing what the disciples wanted to see 2,000 years later. And that should thrill our hearts. And it should give us a, an assurance that, okay, God, you've begun a good work. You're going to carry it out to completion. That's right. Which is exciting. And so tying this back, that's one, one verse that we can say with regard to the restoration of the land. There are so many that we could go to. Jeremiah 31. Verse 10 says, hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, and declare it in the islands afar off. He that scattered Israel will gather her and keep her as a shepherd keeps his flock. Well, there is, scholars sometimes debate this. They say, well, why is that, you know, that was when they came back from Babylon,
2: right? Well, I only laugh because so few Jewish people actually came back from Babylon. Most of them stayed. Not only that, Babylon is directly to the east of Israel. What kind of prophecies do we have throughout the prophets? It's from all around. It's from every direction. So it's just, I'm sorry, laughable that Babylon could be considered as a fulfillment for that passage.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Although in type and context, Babylon, the nations are Babel, the the place of confusion. So in, in that sense, yes, Babylon in the geographical time, but it was just in one geographical time. And it gives us a very specific thing now. But to help us in that passage and it's uh the the first part of uh Jeremiah 31 is is very very precious because it says i have loved you with an everlasting love therefore with loving kindness have i drawn you again you shall be rebuilt mm. o virgin of israel and and then in i think it's it's verse 6 or thereabouts from memory it talks about building vineyards on the hills of samaria mm. when did that take place well let's look in the new testament when when jesus was around john 4 The Samaritan woman said, what business have you to do with talking to me? (laughs) So we know that that wasn't fulfilled in Christ's time because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. I mean, they'd actively walk around Samaria to get to the north or to get to Jerusalem. They wouldn't engage with the Samaritans in the land. So when did it happen? Well, Judea and Samaria were reunited uh, in the land of Israel in 1967. Mm. The vineyards were first planted in 1968 Mm. and... 1969, the first crop came. You shall build vineyards on the hills of Samaria, and you shall drink the fruit thereof. That gives us a timepiece for the whole of Jeremiah 31. It allows us to see into, oh, wow, okay, this passage of Scripture is being fulfilled in my day. It talks about them returning with babes on their on their fronts and talks about them singing and dancing with tab- tabrets and, and, and musical instruments. It's so exciting mm-hmm. because we're living... In that day where we can say we have the word of prophecy made even more sure than Peter.
2: Yeah, amen. Well, I'm really enjoying our conversation thus far, Stephen, and I interrupted you with regard to William Blackstone's factor in this story, but we are going to cut to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Stephen Briggs of Hatikva Films, and we're going to pick up with William Blackstone's influence in their founding of the modern state of Israel. We'll be back in just a second. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Welcome back to the Tove Podcast. I am sitting down here with Stephen Briggs, director of Hatikfa Films. And we are talking about Genesis twelve three and its relationship to the United States of America. And Stephen, before I interrupted you, uh, we were just about to dive into William Blackstone. So let's pick it up there. William Blackstone's influence both here in the United States and on the founding of Israel.
0: Well, I, I feel that you are probably more equipped to, uh, to unpack this and Wes uh, Tabor, the uh, Emeritus Director as well, who has a, a tremendous passion for e- expressing and showing Blackstone's influence in this, in this nation. But um, we did touch on him in the film and on D.L. Moody and various others. Blackstone was a remarkable man. He was a businessman who wrote a, a little book called Jesus is Coming. And he didn't even bother to um, in, uh, put his name on it, just his initials, W-E-B. He, he really wanted to point to the fact that it was all about the Lord and that that's really his heart and his desire in the process now he was involved in uh putting together a um a declaration one could call it the Blackstone Memorial as it became known and uh this was a declaration in in the late 1800s that was talking about being involved and in America being involved in the restoration of Israel to her ancient homeland and we uh we touch on that in the film and uh it was so profound in its reach, in the, in the people that signed up to this agreement, that it would end, end up being on the front page of the Chicago Tribune. I don't recall the date, but you, you may, may remember that. But it was a hugely significant moment. And he was one of the leaders uh, of uh, the restorationist vision and uh, movement within America that really set America on a course uh, that would ultimately re- really result in them being involved in uh the um, uh, stepping into the Second World War mm. um, and uh, the Jewish people's survival in, in Europe and beyond.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're interested in further information about William Blackstone, I'd encourage you to go back a few months uh, in our podcasts. You can find him on lifeandmessiah.org and check out the podcast titled The Forgotten Founder, which is all about William Blackstone, his influence here at Life and Messiah. Uh, the more uh, we uncover... About Blackstone and Herzl, the more it seems that Herzl was influenced by Blackstone, which is fascinating.
0: I, I hope that that is uh, is uncovered in a great way because there was another man across the pond in the UK called William Heschler, who was also involved. In his uh, his gravestone was uh, unveiled a couple of couple of years ago. I had the privilege of being there. It had been left uh, to to. And derelict weeds growing over it. And he was a Gentile who was coupled with Herzl. So you had the Jew and the Gentile involved in the the Restorationist vision coming to fruition with the Judenstadt, the the Jewish state, and the Mm. outworking of that. That period of history... Uh Herzl had a number of Gentiles, Gentile Christians around him. And, and if there is a tie directly between Blackstone and Herzl, it is very, very significant indeed.
2: Indeed, yeah. It, what's interesting, I didn't know this previously, that a few years ago you were at Heschel's grave. My wife and I were out in Los Angeles a few years ago. We tracked down Blackstone's grave. Also had been overgrown with some grass and weeds and so forth. And just a few weeks after we were there, they had a wonderful ceremony. Uh, honoring Blackstone for his role in the founding of the New Jewish State. Uh, so pretty cool. Very, very cool stuff. Let's fast forward to more recent history, though. In the film, you uh, take a look at some key American presidents and their attitudes toward Israel, both positive and some negative. You talk about one president in particular in the film, and he had a childhood memory Uh, of their mother that factored into a major decision, which ended up affecting the national security of the state of Israel. Tell us more about that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Does anybody know who he is? Well, Nixon's family, uh, his mother was a Bible believer, Mm -hmm. and she had told him as a child, uh, one day you will have an opportunity to do something very, very significant Don't let it slip by, basically, Mm. uh, Mm. with regard to the Jewish people. Now, he was, um, as uh, Jerry Klinger in the interview says, uh, Nixon was an anti-Semite. I mean, there was a lot of things that he did and a lot of things that he said that were very, very hostile towards the Jewish people. But on this occasion, he remembered the words of his mother. And the praying grandmothers and mothers of this world are very, very important to us. And, uh, grandfathers as well, I might add to caveat that. And, uh, that decision making process resulted in him stepping in to, uh, the situation in, in quite a miraculous way. And if you want to find out more, you can get hold of the DVD.
2: Mm. And this is a good opportunity. How can folks access uh, this latest film in the series?
0: So if you want to watch it, you can visit com. Our On Demand page has America and the Israel Effect, as well as the other films that we produced. Films is H A T. IKVAHfilms.com, and uh, they're available on demand, or you can also order the DVD if you are still a DVD watcher, which I know <laughs> is, a, is a, a demographic that is shrinking, but there are still people that like something physical in their hands.
2: Indeed, so. indeed, yeah. So what's the message for the United States of America today in regard to her attitude toward Israel and the Jewish people.
0: Well, we we touched last time on Britain and Britain's uh, situation with dividing God's land and God dividing Britain and the Commonwealth. And just this past week, uh, we had Barbados lowering the Commonwealth flag and raising their own flag. And Prince Charles was, was there. That was one of the one of the aspects of the Commonwealth. And um, 1997, Hong Kong, and working our way back. There was division of the land. Joel three, verse one and two says, in the latter days, when, not if, so there's another tying us back, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I'll bring the nations into Emek Yehoshaphat, which in Hebrew means the valley of God's judgment, or the valley where God judges, not because of sin, but because they divide my land and scatter my people. This is the challenge to any nation. Mm. Because when you enter in to divide the land that God has covenanted for the blessing of the world... And if you don't believe me with that, turn to Psalm 105, verse 8 to 11, and read through how many times he promises that the land is to be for the for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's so evident; It's almost as if he knew there was going to be conflict over it, that he reiterates it, I think it's seven times in that passage, that this is land that he has covenanted to them. And so we have a... Uh, A very very fascinating scenario and what we've got with um america is i liken it to a pendulum you know it is it swings from blue to red to blue to red to blue to red and eventually in the middle you have brown right that's what (laughs) happens when you mix these two colors and uh um but the key component is who's holding the pendulum Mm. and god gives nations the leaders they deserve and so we're instructed to pray for those in authority and those in leadership. And we've seen the pendulum swing. Both a, We saw a, a very hostile towards Israel under the Obama administration. We saw a positive uh, position under the Trump administration. Now we're swinging back to a, to a hostile. The next question is what's going to happen in four years' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are instructing the scripture not to uh, be... Uh, Overly political politics doesn't save us. Sure. The gospel does. Right. But we are instructed to pray for all those who are in leadership. And that's in 1 Timothy 2. And then in verse 4 of that passage, it says that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life and that souls may be saved. So we look in the film, in the journey of looking at Roosevelt, looking at Nixon, looking at Truman, looking at, um, go back to McKinley and Harrison and their understanding of the restorationist vision. And how these politicians have been outworked and been involved in God's relations between Israel and America. Mm. Where she will end up. Well, that's not determined by leadership. It's just determined by the praying church.
2: Yeah, good reminder. Well, if you've not yet done so, I'd encourage you head on over to Hatikfafilms.com, Check out some of these films uh, from Stephen and his team. And uh, let's continue to pray. As you reminded us, Stephen, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122.6, and pray for our leaders, both those in Congress and the Senate, And uh, even our president, uh, pray uh, that they may make righteous decisions, not only concerning Israel, but concerning all things regarding life and liberty. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us on the Tove podcast. It's been wonderful to have you. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove podcast, head on over to lifeandmessiah.org. You can see everything we've got there or Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Until next time, shalom.